Hey, everybody. You've reached the Mayfair Podcast. I'm Eric. And this is Josh. It is Saturday, February 17th, 2024. That was like one of my best intros, I think. When we first started doing these, I always like rushed to get it out because that human instinct that someone's going to cut you off or something. I think when it was like you, me and Andrew or whatever, like they're going to find out that I shouldn't be here and (laughs) cut me off or something. The longer that we went on and I'm like, you know, I, I don't have to like, it's not a race to get the words out. So I was like, I think that's the least awkward one I've ever done. You see that in movies sometimes where either people are waiting for the action, bad movies mainly. (laughs) My favorite. (laughs) Or they're walking a bit too far so you can tell they're like leading into it. But it's a big thing on Mystery Science Theater riff tracks. You'll see a thing where somebody's on the staircase and there's just like a really long second that goes click and then they move. Yeah. And you could tell they heard action. Yeah. When it's better to kind of, you know, just walk down the stairs. We'll get you. That's hilarious you say that because the Christmas movie that I was in, there was oh, sort yeah. of a thing like that. Because for one of the scenes that I was in, I had to be kind of inside a building with the door closed, but you can't quite hear. Like they didn't, it's not like they had like an intercom or a walkie talkie or whatever. I don't even remember how they did it, but it was like basically like you hear action and then. I think it was me and this uh, young woman. And so like she had to go first and then I had, I I don't know, five seconds or something like that. And then I would walk out naturally down the stairs, (laughs) which let me tell you, I blew the first two at least because I didn't understand the assignment, even though that makes me sound dumb. But trust me, like it was confusing. And you waved at the camera. Well, like, cause you're just, it's so funny because literally for that particular part of the scene, like maybe you'd see me for half a second or something at best. I don't even think that it made the cut that particular scene. But we did, I think I did it three or four times and I finally got it right, I think. But each time you're doing, you're just, you're just like, don't screw up, don't screw up, don't screw up. And the thing too is like the camera, everything was to the left and I was at the farthest to the right. And so I'm like walking down and then around the back of the crew or whatever. And then that's it. It's not complicated, but you really get into your head about it because you don't want to be the one who screws the scene up and stuff. And then they're just like, what's this tall, lanky idiot doing? Well, I I always think that if you're doing a big Hollywood production, Spielberg or Marvel or a James Bond movie, something enormous. You've probably got that job because you've paid your dues and you're the best assistant camera operator. You're the best boom operator. You're the best craft service person, you know? Yeah, or the one available that day. Yeah, (laughs) because you think if you mess up a shot on a low-budget movie or a Hallmark movie kind of thing, so be it. You mess up a shot on Star Wars, that could be... A million dollar shot. Yeah. A two million dollar shot. <laughs> if it's a funeral scene shot in New York City versus a funeral scene shot in, I don't know, anywhere. Ottawa. <laughs> yeah. You just, you can see it sometimes that you're like, they don't stand out as much. They're better at blending in. There's always that thing of a little bit of overacting in the background of the two people talking at the coffee shop or whatever. Yeah. And it's fun. Not fun, but like, it's kind of comical when a friend of mine was in, I guess it was a funeral scene or whatever, but it was like a really heavy, I, I think <laughs> I think it was one of those, oh, small town assholes, you know, beat up a gay kid and he dies or something like that. Right. You know, some horrible thing, but I think it was based on a true story. It's like the opening scene. They're in this funeral and my friend was like, oh, there I am. There I am. <laughs> I'm in the front row looking sad and I'm just like, ah, it's, it's such a like catch 22 where you're just, oh, hey, I'm in this scene and I, I'm really visible and whatever. But you're like, it's based on a horrific yeah. story and it's the worst thing. And like, I don't know. I, I could I just that's imagine the, telling yeah. my parents that where I'm like, hey, watch this. But maybe don't watch the whole movie. But that first five seconds. Yeah, that's not as fun as I did a Spider-Man movie and he flew overhead and swung over my. That's yeah. more fun. And same with like, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon or something like that, where you're just, oh, I finally got my big break as an extra yeah. or whatever. And I'm like, here I am. But it's the heaviest true story-ish possible thing. Movies are movies, but God, when it, I'm kind of, I feel like almost blessed to have only been in stuff not based on true things. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little much. 
Well, we were talking too about how there was a certain time in my younger days where every single movie ended in a rap song. Oh, yeah. A lot of it MC Hammer with Adam's family. And it was just, and you could tell it was the synergy. It was probably like they were both Warner Brothers movie and artist or something like that. <laughs> but everything had a themed rap song. Even Leprechaun, Back to the Hood, I believe it was. It had, and that was the first one in a while because I was like, what? This is so, like, what a throwback. And this may seem like a bunch of dumb kids making a joke and being offensive, but I think it's a it's a <laughs> oh, good joke is that we <laughs> joked that Schindler's List oh, had a rap song at oh, the end. Boy. And that was the end of it. But of the era, I was saying if I was writing for Saturday Night Live at that time, I'd be pitching an idea where Spielberg is there and some dumb execs are like, we got an idea. Yeah. And MC Hammer's in the room. Oh my and God. Kinda, They're like, like, I think we can rhyme goibles with foibles. You're yeah. like, that's about as good as we're going to get on that one. And like that idea is so dumb. Hollywood probably was like, hey, uh, this movie's pretty good, but can it be in color? And can we have some pop music in it? Yeah, it's funny now because I think there's been one or two recently that did that. Like, a, well, one was like The Visit kind of had a rap. It wasn't quite the same thing, but right. I mean, you know. But there was one, I don't even remember what it was now, but there was one I saw in the last two years and it had that. It had the classic rap ending song, obviously a throwback to that era. And it really reminds you of, well, it reminds people like us who grew up in that era that you're like, oh yeah. I think even, I might be wrong about this. I think the Oscars made a rule recently where the song has to be actually a part of the movie. Well, and it wasn't even recent. I think that was like the 90s. I oh, think. was it really? I just remember hearing that recently because people were giving examples of, they'll slap a song over the end credits. Yeah. To be able to say there's a Taylor Swift song in here, mm -hmm. but it, it is not on a theme. It's not written for, but it's just <laughs> over the end credits. Yeah. So they get to put her name on the poster and get to try to get her nominated for Oscars. But it's not like, you know, when if it's a true musical, if it's if it's. Frozen or Moana or West Side Story or whatever. Yeah. I remember St. Elmo's Fire was oh, yeah. ineligible because of that. Because the song St. Elmo's Fire has nothing to do with the movie. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. And that was like, that wasn't, I don't want to say 83. That feels too early. But like. Wait, was it because, did the song exist before the movie? Um, Just coincidentally? That part I'm not sure about. I know for a fact that it was because the content had nothing to do with it. Right. And it was a huge smash hit song, obviously. Yeah. But I don't know. That's a good question because if it was made for the movie, but not about the movie, shouldn't that sort of count? <laughs> Or if it was like, did that song come out a couple years before and the screenwriters say, oh, someone in this movie is going to listen to that song. Yeah, because a lot of time they do that. I don't know, like that movie, Eight Days a Week. I don't know why that's the one I think of. Or like, Can't <laughs> yeah. Buy Me Love. They're, they're only Beatles songs that I think of. Ones where you're like, okay, you just picked a title people know. Yeah. This yeah. has nothing to do with anything at all, you know. Well, I remember Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland, which, although I'm not a big fan of, from a financial point of view, it was a humongous hit. Yeah. I think it made a billion dollars. It was okay. Like, it was fine. Yeah, it was totally fine, but it was kind of the first Tim Burton movie that I just wasn't enthralled by. Yeah. Because I love Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm -hmm. I love Edward Scissorhands. So good. But that one was just, it kind of felt, and there's nothing wrong with this, it felt like he was a hired gun. That's what I was going to say. It felt yeah. like manufactured Tim Burton or like however you want to say it, you know. But I remember there was an Avril Lavigne song over the end credits. And I bear no Jeez. ill will to Canada's sweetheart, Avril Lavigne. I didn't remember that. <laughs> but it's so out of place. And yeah. you could just totally tell that it was a B-side that <laughs> didn't make the cut. And maybe she was on Walt Disney Records or something. Yeah. And they just slapped it on there and she was popular at the time. But it had nothing to do with anything. It was just a nice song. She does seem like a good fit for that. Like, I guarantee she's a fan of Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Like, guaranteed. But probably didn't make an original song for it. Although I do know that she did uh, How to Train Your Dragon. And I think that one was eligible for awards. I'm pretty sure. You look through the years 
especially the 80s and 90s, there's some weird stuff that sneaks in. Yeah. I remember being intrigued by Dinosaur when they were putting that oh, up. Oh, yeah. And I worked at McDonald's at the time, so we had, we got the oh, whatever. Oh, did you get the cups and things? Yeah, it was like there was some silly. They always had these special burgers, quote unquote, but it was just basically the same burger. But with they're like, this one has four pickles, you know. <laughs> but this was like, I remember there was like a dino-sized fries, which I'm pretty sure was just super-sized fries. But they call it that. Mm, dino so, flavor. Yeah, exactly. Like, there was nothing really different about it. But I think there was like some sort of spice on the burger. That was the difference this time. But I remember like I thought that was very intriguing looking blend of kind of live action with whatever, you know, anima- or not animatronic, I wish. CGI, I guess. Yeah. And and that was, I think that was like 2000 or something like that, late yeah. 90s, you know. And, and I, I, to be honest, again, I never really saw that movie. But I remember being like, this is kind of different. At least they're trying something kind of cool. I saw it because I love dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. And... If this is true, I remember hearing that up until the 11th hour, as 11th hour as animation can get, it was to be a faux National Geographic type movie with dinosaurs. So, like, just to say that I, I've, I guess when you're, around, God, when you're around as long as we are, like, everything I say sounds depressing. <laughs> but just, you know, we've lived through so many Disney eras. And, oh, yeah. And I remember when they started to lose their luster a little bit and they started to crank out the direct-to-video sequels. Yeah. That, no one really liked i mean except maybe like one or two yeah and then you know then marvel that was like around the time marvel went bankrupt and everything was kind of nobody knew what was up and michael eisner is just green lighting random stuff imagine the world where disney and marvel folded yeah it almost happened oh it was close because i remember disney yeah like late 90s or whatever it was they were struggling for disney anyway and i remember at the time that was kind of on the heels of image comics just booming Mm -hmm. and you had independent creators selling three, three and a half million copies of a single comic and making a chunk of the money off that because it was their creation and they wrote and drew it. Yeah. And there was all this speculation, and I don't know how far it went, of they were like, do any of you image creators want to buy the Hulk, Spider-Man, X-Men in the same way that they sold off to movie studios and made some money? Yeah, it's pretty interesting, and that's a thing that still has you know repercussions these days. With like Marvel just got back Fantastic Four, and yeah, whatever you know, and there's still I don't even remember what how many they don't yet own again. I'm not there's probably a lot less than it used to be. Yeah, but. they're getting close because I know a lot of them had certain deals like Fox, which they now own, but. <laughs> You had to make one every, say, like five years. Yeah, just like Hellraiser. And that's why Sony is now pumping out stuff like Madam Web and Craven because... <laughs> oh, yeah, Craven. I forgot that was coming up. Venom does well and the animated Spider-Man does well. Yeah. But with all due respect, like they could end up being good movies. I haven't seen them. I can't critique them. But the wide world will go a Batman movie. Yeah. A Spider-Man movie. I can't imagine people being that excited for Craven. Well, that, but I mean, at least like, I don't know. Craven at least is Craven. Like yeah. Madam Web, I'm like, nobody knows who that is. Not no. to be a jerk, but like. I barely know who Madam Web is. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> they're the only one I would think would know who it is. And, yeah. and the reviews have not been kind, shall we say. I'm so curious to see it. Yeah. Like, still. I don't know what to think. I didn't, it's, I don't have any ill will against any of that. Like I thought the trailer looked okay. Like, I yeah. mean, they're kind of just doing them to do them or because they have to do them or feel they have to do them. Yeah. And then it comes out and they're just half ass. Like, I really do love the, the love. I guess I love the Venom movies yeah yeah and a lot of that is just because of tom hardy putting himself his whole self into these movies he cares you know and they were smart because not that 80 million dollars is low budget but i think the venom movies were about 80 million Mm dollars versus an average marvel movie is 200 million plus yeah so that's kind of interesting that they were like okay well we'll keep the budget 
lower. Yeah. And then we only have to make 300 million instead of a billion. Yeah, and it's almost cute how they're teasing Spider-Man or Marvel-related stuff in these movies, but yeah. they're not allowed to actually do it. You it's know? so weird. <laughs> so it's I just I kind of love that where they're just like they're basically like begging Disney to let them play in the same sandbox. <laughs> Yeah, and then they had to make the deal for Spider-Man to appear in the MCU. Mm -hmm. It's also complicated. I love thinking about how real big, evil, high-priced lawyers are negotiating these characters the way kids would trade trading cards. Yeah, or toys or whatever, yeah. And the two examples in the last little while, and I should read this up because I might be getting it slightly wrong, but it was like James Gunn wanted to use certain characters in Guardians of the Galaxy that appeared in Fantastic Four first. So they were owned by Fox. Right. So they were like, let me use the Watchers and a couple of their outer space characters that appeared in Fantastic Four first. Mm -hmm. And then Fox, you can use Scarlet Witch in X-Men. Yeah. It's so complicated. <laughs> but so funny to think of them trading and arguing in the same way that a couple of 10-year-old nerds would argue about who would win in a fight. Yeah, and you still, and then you have two Quicksilvers, and like it starts yeah. to get wacky. But and we still have not had a legitimate Galactus. Yeah, there was that weird fake one in the yeah. in the it, other Fantastic it's like a Four cloud movie. or a yeah. ball or whatever the heck it was, and and like that kills me too. And I mean, you could argue we haven't had a good Doctor Doom either. That's a whole other question. But I find that funny too because like I mean, Galactus fought Guardians of the Galaxy in the comics. I mean, at least once, issue 25. And so like <laughs> you're almost like I feel like James Gunn could have done a good Galactus. Oh like, yeah. Well, I think they're probably saving them now for Fantastic Four. We just got the big yeah. Valentine's Day announcement with the cast and mm -hmm. everything. And and they're saying, supposedly, like, I think Doctor Doom is going to be more of a tease at the end of the movie rather than the main bad. Because, I mean, he yeah. should be kind of what they did with Thanos, you know. And I think they might be smart, too, of just hopping in yeah. the way they did with Spider-Man. I like, hope so. No origin. Or at least do one of the, the opening credit type ones like they did for the second Hulk movie, I think it was, where you just kind of, over the credits, you explain the story. Well, and if you look at... The Incredibles, everyone loved that movie. It was a great movie. There was no secret origin. They didn't delve into explaining how their powers worked. They just went, go. And Incredibles is very much a Fantastic Four archetype. Mm -hmm. So they just do that. Just, there you go. I think we just, like, I mean, at least speaking for me, I got so tired of every Spider-Man movie, every Superman movie. It was the same regurgitated half hour. Yeah. And you're just like, oh my God, we know, uh, yeah, Uncle Ben died and he's fighting stuff. Great power. Yeah. Yeah. And the Batman with Robert Bat Madison. Mm-hmm. We didn't see him as a kid walking down the yeah, alley. Thank God. Because I'm like, okay. hitting the ground. <laughs> yeah, like you can hint at stuff. Like I said, I mean, you can do something with the intro. I think that's usually the best way to go about it because you can do cool like... And I think it was the Hulk one. There was one that did it kind of with comic panels or that style. Yeah. At least that's visually interesting. You get the story across. It's the credits. Got to show them anyway, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm very cautiously optimistic about Fantastic Four because it should be really good. Uh, I it think should so. be. Like, they're all good people. It's amazing. Okay. If that weird sound <laughs> just, like an elephant. <laughs> just picked up. These mics are pretty good. So I don't know if that will have picked up. The band who's playing tonight for the silent film oh, yeah, that's live tight. band. Holy God, I forgot. A Page of Madness. They are getting set up right now. Mm -hmm. So we're multitasking and recording a podcast. And so usually the sound doesn't pick up, but they just seem to have a 
big weird sound happened. So yeah. you might hear a little bit of that in the background. It was especially weird because I think they're sort of testing the film maybe too at times. Because yeah. I'm hearing weird rumblings and whatever. And I was supposed to come to this tonight, but it is... I will shout out my good friend Tony Barnes at his birthday today. And his birthday request was that we go to his place and watch movies. And so I'm like, all right, who am I to go to the Mayfair instead of someone's birthday? Come on. Come on, Tony. Come to the Mayfair. Yeah, Tony really come screwed on. us on this one. But, <laughs> but anyways, I, you know, I got him a cool like little poster from uh, when we played Rock and Roll High School here. I remembered how cool the poster was because I was uh, in yeah. the, the men's room and you had done the little ad or whatever. And I was like, I love those posters, but they're just, I, I have no other examples. But, you know, there's ones where they have all the cast and it's a cool drawing or whatever, but it yeah. sounds better than I'm saying it. Well, it looks like old mad magazine style kind of exactly and so i got i ordered it was actually like a silk i guess like it's like from japan so they're like reprints and they send them rolled or whatever but so it's like silk but like they're very well done i've I've gotten a couple and it's uh, sure you'd like an original but it's like well this is much more affordable (laughs) so so i got that i got a frame and like he loves that movie too so fingers crossed he's gonna like that but i can talk about it because it'll be in the past it'll be in the future or yeah, the he, past. plus come on he's not listening to this you know come on. <laughs> so anyways just to say I, w- I was pretty hyped for this and i guess this is me pretending i'm here for it because they're here practicing well yesterday i came in one of the sound guys was just gonna wanted to tinker around and mm. i said okay i'll come in and i multitasked in getting the big shark standee set up yeah and thank God Gwen had to drop by. The Chaos Theory gods were on my side because Gwen forgot her keys, had to come by the Mayfair to get my keys. Or did you take her keys because you wanted her to come here and help you? Don't, don't tell her. <laughs> <laughs> because when there is a task like putting together a standee in front of Gwen, yeah. she can't resist that. Okay, perfect. She's someone who will fix your bike, fix your computer. She knows how to do all that stuff. So she helped me and it's big. Yeah. And it's just, <laughs> I didn't realize it was the old open mouth take a photo inside kind of thing it makes sense but so we got that set up and posted it to the internet and people seemed happy about that yeah. got a few people who took pictures and posted on social media but it's i don't know what we'll do with it because <laughs> it's too big to fit in our lobby right it's way too big to fit anywhere because it can't block the four exits in the the cinema it would have been perfect for one of those exit corners i've been thinking about this i know that's illegal obviously but that would have been perfect go into the fire marsh and be like there's a hole in the mouth you can jump right through it i was also like is it do you have to have four i mean technically five exits if you count the front i'm sure the answer is yes but i was like yeah surely we could just be like okay listen you know the quinn's one is now the big shark exit (laughs) yeah it's so big it might not even fit in that if you put it sideways it might not fit so anyhow it's too big so I don't know what we're going to do with it in between. And if you stand it up straight, yeah. it blocks off your view from the balcony. From your, your spot, from my basically. Spot. Yeah, yeah. Most so important. You, you didn't care until that happened. So as we speak, it is sideways laying down. Nice. I think with a little effort, we could get it behind the screen. Yeah, probably. But, uh but anyhow, it's but it's cool. It's cool. You could Possibly you could put it down and to the right of the screen if we rejigger the chairs. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, all. Because yeah. literally, I don't think there's another spot. And the thing is, the... the <laughs> dandy part on the back that makes it stand yeah. is kind of all taped on and everything so not <laughs> why is that is not it, easy to did, like take it all apart is it supposed to be like that or did you mess it up no it's like fancy <laughs> double-sided tape so, okay okay yeah it's supposed to be there but i haven't seen it in person yet i'm oh. is it as tall as me yeah okay it's big because i'm pretty tall but like you know so yeah, so maybe we'll just leave it there forever. So we, when you when you come to the Oscars, get your picture with the big shark. I mean, we joke, but honestly, it is an attention getter. You know. Oh yeah. 
But the only thing is you have to knock it over every time. Yeah. That's I mean, and if it's only one manager here, that's a bit of a pain to kind and, of... And I mean, I can, are you allowed to tell a story about Andrew? I don't know what happened, <laughs> but Andrew somehow cut himself on the big shark standee. Which is the best. I was supposed to go last night, and then I had an eye needle on Thursday night, which was awful, and Ew. I'm still kind of recovering. I Also, we were supposed to jam with a, the new drummer and meet him, and he was going to come to my house. And then I was just like, I was, oh my God, I woke up and I was like, okay, I don't think I can, first of all, work. I was supposed to work from home, but even then I was like, I can't be in front of a screen for seven and a half hours. you can't put needles in your eyes. Oh my God. It was awful. And then I had a headache and so I just needed to be in the dark. Yeah. Thursday night, I just, I had sunglasses on. We just listened to records and no screen time at all. And it was actually lovely. But regardless, I was just like, okay, (laughs) Friday was a total write-off. I told my friends, I was like, I think I can still shark, but we'll see. And they're like, are you sure? Because if I had an eye needle, I probably wouldn't want to (laughs) go. And and I thought it was going to be kind of a raucous crowd, all that stuff. And just, yeah. and not, you know, no offense, but not a good movie, you know? Right. So ultimately I did not go, but I felt bad. And then at like, yeah, 9, 15 or 20 or whatever, you were like, are you there? Did you see Andrew cut himself? <laughs> and I was like, I screenshotted it and sent it to my friend I was supposed to go with. And I was like, damn it. Look what we missed. I could have seen that. It's only funny because he's fine. Just yeah. like every video of a skateboarder falling down or somebody getting tackled by a kangaroo or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it is a shark. I mean, if you're going to get cut by a standee, at least I that one makes sense. I don't know if he tried sense. to like pick it up by the teeth but it's 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 just like i don't know it's just a standee why are the teeth razor sharp like <laughs> yeah. that that does seem like a tommy thing where he's like you know it's got to be you know razor blades yeah. i can't do the greg impression i don't think i'm allowed to only greg can do the impression so it's a lawsuit now so ah jeez andrew's gonna sue tommy he already wasn't coming out of Ottawa anyways now yeah. he hates me too <laughs> another like, lawsuit on. damn it so let us briefly mention the movie screening the week of friday february 23rd First up, we have Rue, the Canadian film based on the Governor General's award-winning novel. Nice. Back for a few more matinee screenings. Yeah. The minute you said Rue with no other details, and I was like, is this a kangaroo film or something like that? And then I'm like, nope, it's not spelled like that, and you're an idiot. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, you didn't have to tell me that. I just guessed. So, yeah. But no, this is apparently amazing. Yeah. And as mentioned, I have a, a first-hand connection to it just because my good friend since high school, his name's Bao. And he was oh, yeah. one of these families who came over from Vietnam yeah. in the era that this movie is set in. He was a baby. He was like a baby being held by his mom Dang. as they traversed over to Canada. So Did he come check it out? Not yet, Or is no. that a little... T- I don't know. Sometimes that stuff is a it little might, too yeah, close to know, home. I curious. I don't know how... Because like, there's certain... You know, like when we played The Indian Runner or something like that. Oh, yeah. Just, I could totally understand if you're just like, uh, nope, I lived through that. I do exactly. not need to yeah, see this. I don't got to go see this movie. Yeah, I was to- there. Yeah, totally understand. But excellent you know, history lesson for the rest of us. For sure, yeah. So then, after weeks of teasing this, we have one of the other Oscar films that has been circling the zone of interest mm. is screening for a full week, There's 23rd lot, to the 29th. A lot of interest about the zone of interest. So, And a very cool poster, as I told you last week. Yeah, it's Academy Awards nominated for Best Picture and International Feature Film, Directing, Adapted Screenplay, and Sound. Yeah, and it was not Jonathan Franzen who wrote the corrections. It was Jonathan Glazer, I believe it was. Yeah. Who I I totally fumbled the two of them. But both great writers, so what am I supposed to do here? Someone got mad at us because they were like, he wrote a bunch of stuff. We're like, I'm sorry, we forgot. I even said that on the thing. Like, midway through, when I don't like to check IMDb in the middle of a podcast, but if I think I'm going to look like a complete ass, sometimes I'll do it. (laughs) And I I admit it. So yeah, whoever that was, you're totally right. I I blew that one. However, I did correct myself mid-podcast, so I'm not going to take the L. So this one is a drama about a commandant at Auschwitz and his wife and the strange story of them living a quote-unquote normal life as they live right beside the atrocities 
that they are working for. It's essentially an out of sight, out of mind thing, I think. Yeah, and it's only rated PG. So I do believe is mm-hmm. that we don't see the other side. Yeah, like kind of life is beautiful, but not at all like that. Yeah. But just, you know, yeah. And they're having dinner yeah. and listening to the radio. Yeah, and- yeah, tending the garden and stuff probably, yeah. yeah. And meanwhile... A few blocks away is the yeah. horrors of the world. Yeah, like, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to watch this. I got to be honest with you. I'm like, I tend to just get a little too empathetic yeah, yeah. in movies like this. And I'm just, although, you know, my wife is Jewish, so it's like, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then at the same time, it's like, it's not like, you know, that doesn't mean she's watching all of these movies either. Like, it's not, I don't know. And like I said, I don't think it's anything too visually. Like I said, it's only sure. rated PG. So I don't think there's anything too shocking in that sense. But, but it just, is yeah. just the shock of these characters and kind of interesting to see that human dynamic of these insane people who yeah. are doing this insane thing and then just going home yeah and i think it's just you know there's a lot of you know just the way it's shot and a lot of symbolism i'm sure and stuff like that yeah, like i, I think yeah, yeah. it is obviously a very heavy movie but yeah it's it's gotten rave reviews so then we have an auto premiere of a movie called the sweet east that is kind of making the indie festival circuit and has a grade a rating from awards watch Ooh. It's a picturesque journey through cities and woods of eastern seaboard U.S. undertaken by a high school senior from South Carolina, getting her first glimpse of a wider world on a class trip to Washington. So is it a documentary or is it a... No, it's, it's, it's a, a movie movie? Fiction, yeah. Okay, all right, because it could have gone either way. Could have been, yeah. <laughs> You're descri- I was like, I, actually, it sounded good either way, to be honest. We so. saw it and said it's really good. Okay. And so we have... I like it. We So we have that for a full week as well. It's kind of cool. I feel like a real movie theater and we have... Two new films for seven days straight. Yeah, right. So then we conclude our Norman Jewison tribute retrospective with the sci-fi classic Rollerball. Excellent. And we'll be playing the excellent remake as well. No, we will not. <laughs> we will never be doing that. Starring that guy from American Pie. Chris Klein. No, Chris Klein. I think that's right, actually. Yeah. That's weird. I don't know why I remembered that so quickly and vividly. And Rebecca Romaine. She's in that too. And LL Cool J? Yeah. I think, yeah, I was like, I, I can do this. I can do Because I remember it, 2002, I think it was. I remember it vividly because because yeah. you kind of hoped it would be good. Like, yeah. You're like, okay, big budget, solid enough cast, cool story. And it was uh, not, not good. Yeah, not so good. So We're showing the one with James Caan. Yes. much. What, is this uh, 79? 75. 75, all right. Which is interesting. I always think about it in terms of Star Wars, right? <laughs> yeah. So this is two years before Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So you think how different the take on sci-fi was. And you look at other sci-fi films like years before in the previous decade, 2001 or Planet of the Apes. Yeah. But yeah, so this is like a, I forget what year it's set in, but I think it's set in some year that we are greatly past already. <laughs> Probably, yeah. And it's a, a 75 is Jaws too, right? Same year? Remember? 73 70, Jaws? 73. That doesn't seem right either. I, I don't know. We're going to look into that. But the point is, <laughs> well, just because like, yeah, same with the cultural touchstones. Like it's hard not to think of like those specific movies, Star Wars, Jaws. Yeah. I was going to say Star Wars again. You know, we really think about the Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> but this one, best science fiction film and actor and cinematography from the Academy of Sci-Fi, Fantasy, and Horror Films. Which is, you know, as reputable as the Oscars. And Cinema Crazed calls it a sci-fi masterpiece. And yeah, it's just, it's always fun to see sci-fi from that 1970s point of view. Jazz was 100% 75, by the way. 75. Nice oh, try. Yeah, yeah. Whoever, you win this round. Whoever called me out on that other <laughs> thing has got to, you know, I'm back up to level now at this point. So that will conclude our great run of Norman Jewison films that yeah. we've screened. In the Heat of the Night, Moonstruck, Thomas Crown Affair, and then Rollerball. Yeah, all classics. And then we have two of our monthly mainstays returning. The Rocky Horror Picture Show, as hosted by the absent friend Shadowcast. 
and Super Secret Saturday Night Cinema. The rebranded version. Rebranded. Lee asked me to rebrand as such. And Gwen, <laughs> who was nice enough to fix up the new poster for us, mm. she was like, what's with the rename? And I was like, I wonder if finally he stumbled on so many people who, meaning well and innocently, go on to social media moments after or the day after and go, I saw this at the Mayfair last night. <laughs> or during. Or during. <laughs> and the whole point of this thing is supposed to be secret. We're yeah. playing an out-of-distribution film. Yeah. It's free for members, so we're not selling tickets. But it's just this, ah, I sound like an old man saying this, but like it's it's not kids today even. It's a certain type of people who really do a lot on social media. Yeah. And we play some weird movie at cinema and they go the extra mile and like they take the poster and they put some text over it and they put in a little animation and they're excited to see it. But we're like, no, it's a secret. You can't tell anybody. Yeah, it's it's tough because you know it's coming from a good place and it likely is a movie that you should share with your friends, but not, yeah. not like that. No. <laughs> and anytime I've gone on and been like, hey, can you take that down, please? Yeah. Or one step further removed is when people are coming to see their favorite movie and they record a video and then post it and be like, I'm watching my favorite movie. Like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, like, no. Except unless you were like, oh, I'm filming uh, Andrew getting cut by the big sharks. <laughs> yeah. later. Like that might be okay. For his lawsuit later on. Yeah, that's true. He'll need that. But yeah, so Rocky Horror Picture Show returns, always fun. And mm -hmm. in cinema is, if you're not in the know, some kind of out of distribution B movie, usually drive-in classic or yeah. something that's only on VHS and never on anything else. Yeah, and th like the way that I say it to my friend because I had told him the similar that you know sometimes people won't shut up about what the movie is. When I was just like, we could literally be shut down in theory. Like yeah. if we played <laughs> something that is owned by some who knows whatever the heck, it's it's very slim. But yeah. if they wanted to be vengeful and whatever, and like oh we heard you were playing this and this guy tagged it and all that stuff, it's a long shot. But I mean we could get in trouble. You know, just the other day, it's so funny, and I've said like I don't know how so many jobs work but someone came in just the other day and was like oh but can't you just screen star wars off of disney plus and put it on the big screen and sell tickets to that but it's not not I was like, finding a copy That's yeah not i was like no i got a copy of it but i was like you got to get permission you got to pay people you know like it's, it's yeah. people don't get that and in the city i totally forget the exact story but in the city a few years back there was some kind of again they didn't know they were doing wrong but they were having a fundraiser and they thought Oh, I own a copy of Frozen. Yeah. And so they did some kind of outside in the park, buy a ticket, raising money for the kids' soccer team or whatever. Yeah. And Disney heard about it, and they didn't sue them or anything, but they sent a cease and desist, essentially, saying you can't do that. Yeah. And to be fair to the big faceless corporation, they got to do that because if they let that go away, it sets precedent and then some band names themselves something owned by Disney. Yeah. And then a restaurant names itself something owned by Disney. And then all of a sudden there's t-shirts being sold. So not to cry for the big billion dollar corporation, but that's why they got to do that. They got to protect their stuff. Yeah. And I think there was a, a school years back too that was doing Star Wars or some kind of Star Wars. Or whatever. Yeah. And I think it was five bucks a head or whatever. And yeah, it was essentially a fundraiser. But I mean, I sent it to you and I was like, what the hell is this, Josh? Like, <laughs> yeah. but, and same, like, I don't know if someone ratted on them or whatever happened. Needless to say, I believe the screening did not come to pass. Whereas what I love about Lucasfilm is they, for a number of years, will just put out their effects, their sound effects and yeah. stuff like that. And they're like, yeah, go make a short film, go make a student film, use our effects, use this stuff. You can't sell it, but you can totally use it as a calling card to show that you've done it. And even at San Diego Comic-Con, they would have awards and they would give out awards to like the best effects and best sound and best cinematography in these no budget fan films. Yeah, And it's not unheard of to have some of those people go on and work for Lucasfilm. Oh, yeah. There are some people, I love these stories, 
who would make the R2-D2s yeah. and drive them around Comic-Cons. Mm-hmm. A bunch of them got hired to make R2-D2s for Lucasfilm. That's, wasn't your friend kind of, they were a big Star Wars fan and then they ended up at Lucasfilm or something like well, that? Well, I or? knew a guy in high school who was just a very talented animator. So yeah. he got in kind of the traditional way. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he works for Lucasfilm. He's been working there for a couple decades now. He must have a sweet jacket or something, like an L jacket or whatever. The funniest <laughs> thing, talk about like retcon, is that his, does this work out right? It was something like his 20th anniversary at Lucasfilm. He got a nice little statue saying thanks for being at the company for 20 years. Yeah. But it was a Lion King statue. So (laughs) they retconned it and it's like, thanks for being a Disney employee for 20 years. And it was like, at the time, (laughs) this is a few years back, it was like, no, I've been a Lucasfilm employee for... 15 years and a Disney employee for, I guess, five years, you know, but... He thought he was getting, like, an R2 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> but he got it... I thought it was funny. He got a Lion King, so it's kind of retconning history. Does he like Lion King, or...? Maybe, I don't know. I mean, He's he an animator. at this point, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would just be like, it's a lion. It's not related to the Lion King. It's just... It's from Roar, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's, it's retcon now. Oh, boy. Uh, okay, so we did it. That is the movies we are screening the week of Friday, February 23. And that's it. We actually have yeah. those booked in advance because of family day lee got them all done early because a bunch of places are closed on monday not us though not us i assumed i didn't actually know that to be true i was just saying it thanks for listening everybody you can find us at mayfairtheater.ca and on all the social medias and we'll be back next week with another mayfair theater podcast without a band playing in the background Uh, well we'll see maybe (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah and also they just announced the first cage of the year forgot to say april 12th arcadian we better get that i know well it's the same people who did mandy so lee has to get it In the not-too-distant future, wars will no longer exist, but there will be rollerball. Imagine a world without nations. A few of us making decisions on a global basis. Controlled by corporations. Sickness, no needs, and many luxuries. A society that has abolished love and hate, aggression and individuality, and replaced them with the most fantastic entertainment of all time televised to two billion hypnotized viewers. It is more than a game. It is Rollerball. James Conn, John Houseman, Rollerball. Rated R.